So in 1981, there was this guy named Steve Callahan. Now, Steve Callahan was a sailor, and Steve Callahan had this crazy idea that he was going to sail out in the Atlantic Ocean by himself. So he got in his sailboat, and he's out there in the Atlantic Ocean by himself. It's the middle of the night. Something happens, cracks a hole in the hull of the ship, and it begins to sink. It eventually sinks, and he just kind of has to salvage it. He gets on the dinghy, which I just enjoy being able to say. Uh, If you don't know what a dinghy is, a dinghy is the little rubber lifeboat thing, and he survives for 76 days on his dinghy, all right, on his lifeboat, he survives until eventually he washes up on the shores of the Caribbean. And he eventually goes on to even write a best-selling book about it called Adrift, and he makes a lot of money. So like, you know, it's 2023, bad things can turn out for good. But I want to talk to you about this story because of how he did that. What he did, and I don't know how in his, uh, as the ship is going down, he gathers what, chooses what supplies to gather. He finds three pencils and he takes some tape and he takes these pencils and he fashions out of these pencils the nautical tool known as a sextant. And I had to, be, I had to put on safe search when I Google imaged that uh, to make sure that my church computer did not go haywire. But it's this tool that can help someone who is lost at sea be able to determine Two principles and realities that are unchanging in our universe, the sun and the horizon. And what this tool does is it helps him be able to measure the distance between the sun and the horizon. And based off of what that measurement is, he can then figure out where the latitudinal line that he needs to get on is actually at. He can determine where he's at, and then he can get into a current that would take him there to the Caribbean. And again, the whole reason I am talking to you about this is because it was his understanding of those fixed realities of the sun and the horizon that helped him navigate the uncertain waters that he was experiencing. And today, as we get ready to jump into the book of Jonah, we're going to look at two fixed realities in our life, two fixed realities in the universe as a whole, and they will help us navigate life as well. Now, I don't know if you showed up today in the midst of one of these Jonah-like storms or you showed up in the, today in the midst of one of these calm things, but here's what I know about storms. You're either in one, you've already been through one, or you're getting ready to go into one. And so we need to know how to navigate them. And if we can understand these two fixed realities, it will help us navigate life and the storms it brings. The first reality is this, and this is kind of the bummer one. The first reality, there's a fixed reality about life on earth, is there is something inside of us that pushes against, runs away from the leadership and the love of God. God gives us commands, we don't like them. God says, don't eat from the fruit on this tree. We go, I think I will. God says, don't date him. We go, I think I will. God tells us to do things in our life and there's something inside us. This is a fixed reality of the universe because we are broken and we inherited a fallen sin nature. There's a fixed reality within us that we tend to run away from the leadership, and the love of God. We run from the source of life thinking that we can figure out life on our own. Anybody ever been there? Found themselves kind of doing that, okay? It's 2023, be honest. Now, the second fixed reality, and this is good news, God has this tendency to chase after those who run. God chases after us and he interrupts our self-destructive behavior and he rescues us and saves us. So these two fixed realities, one, the running is what the Bible calls sin. And then God's, the chasing, is what the Bible calls grace. And in these two fixed realities of the running 
The sin and the chasing and grace, understanding these two things will help us be able to navigate whatever storm we face in life. And understanding these realities about the word is so important because the word of God, it shows us the realities of the world. You can have whatever degree you want to have, study whatever thing you want to study, but you will never truly understand the way the world works. You will never understand the way things operate. You'll never understand why you do what you do unless you find the truth that is bound up and found up in the word. Now, what you understand about the word, this word of God thing this, that is the Bible, this thing that, that, that we gather on, on weekly basis is to, to unpack and figure out how it can affect and change our life. This is not just a giant collection of stories that you just pick apart and you read one like, hey, we did Ephesians, that was a cool story. Now we're doing Jonah, that's a cool story. I hope we do Obadiah, that's probably a cool story too. That's not what this is. It is not a collection of stories. This thing, cover to cover, is really just one story. And it's the story of a people who run and a God who chases. And this story... It is not a book with the giant collection of heroes. Like, well, there's a, a Joshua's and there's David's and there's Moses's and those are all my heroes. No, this book has one hero and all those subheroes, those Moses's and Joshua's and everything else, they're just little threads that are woven into the tapestry that is the heroic story of Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. And so I gotta kind of give you this big, giant, overarching picture of what Jonah is all about. It's a story of running and chasing. It's a story of sin and grace. And it's a story that we're going to see Jesus in the midst of as he is a true and greater Jonah. So if you got your Bible, hopefully you're there. Jonah chapter one, verses one and two. As you're turning there, I know Jonah's not necessarily an easiest book to find. I'll give you a little bit of time. Um, Jonah is a prophet of God. Now, a prophet of God was somebody who was given the word of God to go speak to, most of the time, the people of God. Prophet would get the message from God, and then he would go and tell people. Most of the time, he was telling them, here's what you need to stop doing, and here's what's gonna happen if you don't. And Jonah is one of the, what's, what's referred to as the minor prophets. He's given this word of God, and it comes to him, and doesn't really like it. So the word of God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, this is a little bit unique here. What God is doing is he's not sending his prophet to talk to his people. He's sending his prophet to talk to pagans. And he says, I have seen their wickedness, their evil, their vile ways, and it has come up against me. Now, I want to just unpack Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. This is the biggest, baddest, most vile empire that existed at the time. So there's two empires, and all this is happening around 786 to 746 BC. You have the Assyrian Empire, and then you have the Israelites, and they hate each other. They're at war constantly with each other. And most of the time, it is actually the Assyrians that you see dominating the Israelites. And so, for Jonah to be given this commission by God to go and talk to these people is like Jonah, Jonah being told by God to go talk to the people that he hates the most and bring them into repentance. Now, just for a second, let's play a game. Think about the person who you can't stand the most. 
Now think about them becoming a repentant, saved saint of God. Here, let's go a step further. Think about the person you can't stand the most, the person that's hurt you the most. Think about them becoming a pastor and leading a growing church. How's that make you feel? <laughs> You'd rather not that, you, you, like we gotta be honest with ourselves because that's kind of the heart of, heartbeat of Jonah we're gonna get it into in later weeks. But there's something inside of us when someone has hurt us and they represent the pain that's been brought to my people, the last thing I wanna see is them come into a loving kind. The last thing I wanna see is God show favor to the person I want dead. And that's the story of Jonah. So Jonah gets this message of God to go to this place called Nineveh, this place that had taken uh, the, the people that they've captured and killed in Israel and, and, and then would take them outside and after they killed a bunch of them and, and did all these things, they would just stack up their skulls kind of outside the city to say, hey, hey, this is our people. Nineveh is actually existing in, in modern day Iraq. If you go look at where, okay, well, where is this place at right now? It's Iraq. And so God going to Jonah is and saying, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh and go preach the word of God to them and call them to repentance is, is as if, uh, I can try to give you the best equivalent I can, is like God showing up to you and going, hey, <clears throat> here's what I need you to do. I need you to put on your um, old WWJD bracelet from middle school. I, I want you to go get that shirt that looked like it said Mountain Dew, but it said like, is, it, is he in you? Or the Gatorade shirt you had, like, you know, like all those things. I want you to get your best Christian t-shirt. I want you to get your, you know, make America great again hat. I want you to just get decked out and then I want you to get on a plane and I want you to fly right into the middle of Iraq and then I want you to gather together all the Taliban, all of ISIS, get them all together in one room and then tell them that, hey, I'm bringing you the word of God and it's that you've got to repent, that Jesus is the one Lord and Savior and you're gonna give your life to him. That's the, that's what, that is the best kind of example of what I can do and that, that as far as the hatred between these two nations and two, these two people groups. And so we can kind of, and again, we have a tendency to do this when we read Bible characters go, well, well, God told you to do it. Jonah, why do you go do it? You know God told you to do it. Like, listen, some of us in this room, like you're afraid to invite your barista to the church. Don't let up on Jonah, all right? He was told to basically like go into modern day Iraq and, and evangelize ISIS. And uh, he's a little afraid of that. But we're gonna come to find out that may have been his minor fear, but he had a greater fear. So God gives him this, word. And if this had happened, if repentance and revival had happened in Nineveh, and it does, it is the greatest scale of repentance and revival that has ever happened because of how wicked the city was and how populated the city was. And this happens there in Nineveh. And Jonah could have been the guy that was immediately the one who was thrust into it. We know, again, we know how the story goes. We know he eventually gets there, but Jonah, you would think he's like, okay, well, I trust God. I'm a man of God. God has spoken to me. And I don't know what it's like to just close your eyes, be sitting in prayer, and then hear God audibly speak to you and tell you to go do stuff. But because we have scripture and we have the story of Jonah show up in the book of 2 Kings, we know and understand that Jonah had actually already been given the word of God. He had already heard the audible voice of God to tell him to go and do stuff. Now, you would think that someone who has had that type of encounter with God, whatever God tells you to do next, you're like, Nothing's too big, nothing's too crazy for you. I've already heard you speak to me. That's wild. God spoke to me. I'll go do what you tell me to do. But that's not what Jonah does. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Always a bad move. He went down to Joppa 
and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. So you can hear all these uh, geographic locations and if you don't have a, a, a Bible map, none of it really makes sense. So I, I wanna let you check a little bit of this out. So he's in this area here, all right? He goes, God's wanting him to go this way, all right? He wants him to go to Nineveh. That's where I want you to go, big guy. I want you to just travel these, you know, 500 miles, get over here. We're gonna go preach to these people and they're gonna get saved. Go this way, big guy. Jonah goes, Mm-mm. now you would think he'd just like maybe go down here. Like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> what Jonah does is my man gets on a boat, goes down to Joppa, and then goes all the way over here to Tarshish. Now, if you don't know how life existed in the Mediterranean at that point, even this is kind of like, ah, no big deal. This is Spain right here, all right? This little knob of land that connects this part to this part is called the Strait of Gibraltar. Now, this whole entire thing right here for all these people who existed in this Middle East, Mediterranean area, they thought this was essentially the entire known universe. They hadn't been out here and gone to Alabama. Like nobody knew about this over here, all right? (laughs) They were better off for it. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about any of that stuff. So when what's wild, and this you need to, this is Jonah is just so thick and rich with humor. It is so thick and rich with things that are just below the surface that you don't really know until you really like dig in. Jonah has literally fled to the end of the earth, running from God, running from his presence. He's gone to the far reach of the known universe, out of the presence of God. Now <clears throat> Here's what I would say about this and Jonah and and us even in our lives, this simple truth and reality. Sin makes you stupid. All right. (laughs) Really stupid. Like he's seen God. He knows that God is omnipresent. He knows there's nowhere I can go to get away from him, but he gets on a boat and he goes anyway. And what, what I need you to understand here is again, we are Jonah. God says, here's how I want you to do these things that are your life. And Jonah goes, I don't like that idea. I'm gonna run away from this. Now, I wanna pause for a second and talk to you about running. Talk to you about disobedience to God. See, Many of us, when we think about whether or not I'm in good graces with God or I'm doing good in regards to God or I'm a good Christian, most of the time we base that on whether or not we're sinning a whole lot that week. We don't base it off of this question. Am I doing the good that God has asked me to do? We just base whether or not we're a good Christian off whether I'm not doing the bad. I can tell you there's a whole lot more to being a good pastor than just not doing the bad pastor things. There's a whole lot more to being a good husband than not just doing bad husband things. There's a whole lot more to being a good student than not just doing bad student things. And sometimes we base whether or not we are actually walking in Christ, whether or not we're being faithful followers of him, just solely based on, am I not doing bad things? And what I want you to understand here is when you know God has given you a word, when you know God has told you to do something and you go, Mm-mm. that is a sin as well. And that is a sin that the Holy Spirit needs you to be susceptible to, to feel the correction of God. 
And the story of Jonah reminds us that when we don't do the good that God told us to do, that is disobedience. And God will discipline us even in the midst of our disobedience. And what I love about this story is it reminds me that there is no neutral ground when it comes to following Christ. You're either doing what he says or you're not. You can't just go, well, I'm not doing bad things. I'm a good Christian. Well, you may be a good Christian, but I think you may have missed out on a lot of those things in the word that talk about sacrifice and love your neighbor. And if you see somebody in need, go help them. And you should be generous with your money. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy, but be generous. Treat other people the way you want to treat them. Don't gossip. Uh, There's a lot of things in there that are positive things that he tells us to do. And so what Jonah does, he does what a lot of us does. And again, we all have a tendency to run, to run from what God tells us to do. Some of you have a call to ministry on your life and you've been running from it. And you're wondering, why does oral surgeon not satisfy me? Well, it's never. Some of you, God has told you to release that anger, frustration, and unforgiveness. And you're running from it. And why am I still struggling with this? This happened 53 years ago. You're running from what God told you to do. And so let's lean into this idea of running. Because I ho- hopefully we can all get to the place where we go, we all run. Every one of us, we all, run, we all run from God in certain areas and certain things. Some of you, God starts telling you to do something with your money and you're like, ooh, I'm gonna run from that. Some of you, God tells, starts telling you to do something with your relationships and you're like, ooh, I'm gonna start running from that. You don't struggle with God, God's, You're like, God, I would rather you ask me to give up some money. I don't wanna give up him. So what you gotta understand, what you gotta figure out, if you run and you all do, we all do, I do too, how do you run? This is the self-knowledge you gotta grasp. Jonah ran by getting on a boat and going to the end of the earth. You may run by running to the bottle, by running to a blunt, by running to something that numbs the pain that you feel on the inside. I'm gonna run for this emotion. I just wanna feel nothing. You gotta learn how you run. Some of you run by going to figure out all the other things that are going on in somebody else's life and you get consumed with what's going on in their life so that you get distracted from what's going on in yours. Some of us run by saying yes to everything we can possibly say yes to, filling our calendar with all sorts of stuff, having it jam-packed full. So we never have any room to be quiet. We never have any room to have bandwidth. We never have an opportunity to serve somebody or care for somebody that was not on the schedule. Because the way I run from what God's calling me to do is I make sure I already have stuff on the schedule so that if he tells me that he needs me to go do something, I can say, well, sorry, God, it's not on the pamphlet. It's not in the agenda. Some of us run for God with religion. We do a lot of good religious things. We'll pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. We'll walk around a building and pray for our, pray by ourselves. We'll go read every book in the Bible time and time and time and time and time again. And we run across Bible verses that says like, go into all the world and make disciples. And we're like, but man, I'd rather just, I'd rather just be discipled. I'd rather just learn a lot. Like the idea of taking all this knowledge and taking all these prayers and like going and talking to somebody. 
well, I'm going to run away from the unknown and the potential for rejection of trying to share my faith with somebody. I'd just rather run into my quiet time. Satan can use even good things to get you from God's best. We all run. You've got to learn how you run. Here's why. There will always be a ship there to take you where you want to go. Jonah, he, he shows up. He says, I want to run. He runs down to Joppa. What's waiting on him in Joppa? A boat to take him to Tarshish. And there's always going to be a boat ready to take you where you want to run from God. You want to have unbound sexuality? There's always going to be a site to click on. There's going to be a new app to download. There's going to be a new person to exploit. You want to run into bitterness? There's always going to be something to resent. You want to run? You want to run really fast? It's a comparison. Well, there's always going to be a place where that can happen. And what um, is unfortunate with this, and this is, this is what I, um, Jonah could have got to the boat and gone, oh, well, maybe I was wrong. Well, it, maybe this is, maybe the boat is God's will for my life. Well, what a coincidence. Like there's actually a boat here. And as soon as I showed up, it was scheduled for departure. Oh, you've had these thoughts too. Okay, great. That's good to know. We start getting in this middle ground tension where we're like, I think God's telling me this. And, and I think, I don't know. And what happens, I mean, let's just be real and honest. Sometimes when we're kind of on that fence and we're like, I don't really know. You start looking for answers and evidence to get you out of the thing that God told you to do. God tells you, stay in the marriage. Thus saith the Lord, stay in the marriage. I'm going to look, oh, oh God. let me look for every reason to get out. Stay at the job. I need you to stay. Oh, I, don't, I, don't know if you're, I don't know if that's really what, I, what you're leading me to. If you're not careful, you start looking for every bit of evidence of why this is the worst place on earth. See, what's natural in all of us is to make peace with disobedience. That's a product of our fallen, broken flesh, and Satan loves to capitalize on that. And so the times when I sit in my office and somebody, <laughs> I'm counseling them, trying to help them to go God's direction, trying to help them go to Nineveh, even though it's gonna be painful, even though it's gonna be hard. I'm just like, hey, look, go to Nineveh. Your church is behind you. We'll go to Nineveh with you. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I'll fight behind you, I'll fight with you. Let's go to Nineveh together. I don't, I, we're here, let's do this. And I go, but I, but I have a, they say this, but I have a peace in my heart about Joppa. And I just want to take my three fingers and make them really stiff and just in the esophagus right there. Like God will never, if you have a peace in your heart about a decision that goes against his word, that is not peace, that is numbness. That is Satan giving you a syringe filled with spiritual Novocaine and going, shoot that in there, big boy. You don't need to feel that conviction. That's why I'm telling you, Satan will make sure there's a boat ready for you when you get at the port, if that's what you want to do. If you want to run, he'll put a boat wherever you need to put a boat. He wants you to run. He wants you to miss out on what God has for you. And my prayer is that 2023 would be the year some of you finally stop running. You're tired, right? You're soul tired. Stop running. Well, we see what God does for a prophet, and we see through the story what he does for a people. 
who run. It's not pretty. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was threatened to break up. See, God hurled this storm on them. And what I want you to understand here is sometimes God, to get you to see the problem, will send pain. Say it again. Sometimes the only way that God can get you to actually see that this is a problem is he will send pain. And the pain is not there to hurt you. The pain is there to help you. That's what he wants. So you may be sitting there going like, okay, well, what are these uh, hypothetical, you're talking about storms that God may send my way look like so I can know to when they're happening? Well, I would say two ways primarily that God sends storms. And well, let's just back up from that. How do you know if a storm is from God or not? I'm not, let's think for a second. How do you know if a storm that's happening in your life is from God or not? I've asked myself this question before too. And here's the best answer I can give you. I just think you'll know. And here's why. I have not once, and I'm not the best parent in the world, but I'm a decent one. But I have not once just walked up to my kids and just, wow, and not explained to them why that happened. Like, no, just out of the blue. Like, like I, because, again, the Bible tells us that God is a good father. And a good father wants us to be disciplined, not just so that we feel the pain of the discipline, so that we learn from the mistake and not do it. So to ask the question, well, how do I know if this storm is from God or not? I don't think God allows that punishment or something bad to happen or a little bit of that pain to be happening in our life and us not have the Holy Spirit go, okay, hello, dinghy, I'm trying to show you some things, trying to help you see this, trying to help you learn from this. So that's how I would say God's not just gonna give you pain and punishment out of the blue without explaining it. Now, usually two ways these storms show up. First way is God not giving you what you want. God, I want this job. Mm, that job will ruin your family. You don't know it yet. You think it's gonna be a lot of money? You think it's gonna be great? Job's gonna ruin your family. No. You're not ready for that job. It's gonna ruin your family because you have continued to ignore me, so you haven't developed the character that could help you set boundaries at the job. Because you have not developed the character that could set those boundaries, I'm not gonna give it to you, and you're gonna feel like I'm punishing you. He does it sometimes by not giving us what we want. Now, the second way God will send a storm in your life, and this is, in my opinion, more scary. He'll send a storm in your life by giving you everything you want. Letting you experience how awesome it all could be. Again, remember back to the story of the prodigal son. Father goes down to the bank, gets all of it out. Says, here you go, little buddy. Run, have it up, live it up. I want you to go all the way to Tarshish. Feel how great it is. He says, I want you to go. We, we have a father God who will let you wander out to the far country because he knows for some of his kids, they will not experience his love unless they feel and experience how empty the far country is. And so God sometimes will bankroll your rebellion because he knows it is only in your rebellion that you will truly see how empty it actually was. Sometimes I'll give you all of it. And you'll be like Jonah and Tarshish the bottom of a boat, passed out of sleep, down, 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 thinking in running from the source of life, I could actually find life. That's what we see happen <clears throat> to Jonah. In verses five and six, 
It says then, then the mariners, they were incredibly afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. He laid down and he was fast asleep. He's out cold. So the captain came down to him and he said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Now, don't miss that word. When God told him to go, what did he say? Arise, there's all sorts of little things in here. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you... Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. See, this God is after Jonah turning and Jonah finding him. But what we see here is that Jonah is not the only person who is experiencing discipline and pain in a really rough circumstance. Who else is getting beat up? Sailors, mariners. They're getting hit hard. And these guys, to, the best way we can read the story is to understand that these are pagans. These are guys that don't believe in the same God that Jonah believes. It's evidenced by the fact that they're crying out to their gods. They're like, oh, Tom Cruise, science, they're Allah, they're Tom, whoever, uh, Mormon guy. Like they're trying everything they can to get whatever God you know, that they can on their side in this moment to make the storm stop. You get your God, you get your God, you get your God. Let's do somebody, we'll throw somebody at the wall and hope it sticks. We gotta get out of this storm. But what they understand, if you're in a storm, and the guys who are sailors for a living are freaking out, that's probably because it's not a natural storm. It's a supernatural one, just like this was, it was sent by God. So they're freaking out. And this is a hard lesson to learn, but I hope the story of Jonah can teach it to us. It's that our disobedience affects others. You may sin in private, but it does not, does not stay in private. Your disobedience is going to affect somebody else. You can think, oh, it's just this harmless thing I do and nobody's looking. No, it affects other people. It's affecting your future spouse right now. It's affecting your future family right now. It's affecting your grandkids right now because it's morphing and molding you into being a person that's not God's best. Your disobedience always affects other people. And my prayer is that less and less people who don't know God yet would not be collateral damage from people who know God now because they disobeyed him. It was on Jonah. And what you see here is Jonah entering into this downward spiral. If you go back and you kind of take your eyes and you go back up, what you see is the re recurring phrase, Jonah went down. He went down to Joppa, got on the boat, went down there, and he went down into sleep. And whoever's writing this, they're, they're, again, it's a lyrical masterpiece. They're trying to show you that that's what sin does. Sin is this downward spiral. Sin will take you further than you ever thought it would. It'll take you deeper into a pit than you ever thought it could be. And you felt that. You've experienced that. So the sailors are freaking out. Jonah's going down, 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 down. And again, what happens to us oftentimes is we find ourselves like Jonah. When we get down and we get beat up on ourselves and we feel like we've messed up and we've let God down and everything else, we do what Jonah does. We go self-pity mode. Jessica and I, we call it, we call it uh, Christmas Eving. Remember when we were a kid on Christmas Eve? You may get home from uh, your grandmama's house and um, had Christmas Eve at their house or maybe you went to church. My family didn't. We went to grandmama's house. Um, you get home and this may be only like eight o'clock. It's not even your bedtime yet. But because you're so ready for tomorrow, what do you do? You go put them jammies on, you go to bed. If I just go to sleep, I'll be able to wake up and I'll be here sooner. In the exact way, but 
in a very negative approach, that's how many of us treat life. We get in our shame and our sin and our depression. We think, okay, if I just sleep, I won't feel this. And I'll wake up and things will be better. And that's another lie from Satan. Wake up and they're right there. And here's what I need you to understand. Jonah's down here on the bottom of the boat. He's dead asleep. Meanwhile, the world, the people who don't know God yet, they're up on the top being beaten up because of his mistakes. They're being beaten up because he didn't do what was right. And, 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 and maybe God would show us something, not as just individuals, but even as a church, and even as Christians here. I think far too many times, we as Christians, we get so beat up and so um, we, we look at our lives and the spiritual me- measures and we, we say, oh, I'm not measuring up, I'm not doing this. And we get all down on ourselves and we just throw ourselves this little pity party and we go to the hull of the ship and we just insulate and ice ourselves because we're ashamed. Meanwhile, and again, Satan loves you to be there because what you never notice when you're consumed with yourself and how far you've fallen is you never notice the brokenness that's going on on the deck. You never notice the brokenness that's going on on the surface, the brokenness that's going on in the world. And I think uh, I would, uh, to me, hear this prophetic message, not from Jonah, but from the captain of the ship. He comes down to Jonah and he says, arise, O sleeper. We're losing it up here. And I don't know if you've looked around, but I, I think that's kind of the cry of the world. Look at high schooler after high school after high school after high schooler, from middle schoolers even. And they're struggling with mental health. They're struggling with thoughts of suicide. Pastor Tim sent me a message. We, we talked about New Year's resolutions last Sunday, and I went kind of through this top 10 list. And he said, he sent me this list from this website that had done these things. And then actually in 20, 2023, the New Year's resolution for most Georgians was to seek counseling. All right, people are past the point of like, I wanna look good in a bathing suit. They're like, my brain's falling apart. I need some help. I need some love. I need some connection. I'm lonely. If something doesn't change up here, it's gotta be, it's going, it's going over. So again, the world is losing it. Meanwhile, the people who can help them win, we're down in our pity party, sleep on the bottom because we messed up. And here is where we begin to see Jonah's repentance and our repentance as well. Captain goes down there. He says, get up. (laughs) I would imagine this conversation was not very pretty, but he tells him to get up. And Jonah does. And this is the first step is you got to get up. And he says, they they said to each other, come, uh, let us cast lots. This is, you ever have a magic eight ball when you were a kid? This, I want to help explain this. Magic eight ball, you know, you, you know, should I date her? No. <laughs> Maybe. All right, cool. That's kind of like what casting lots is, I, something like that. Now, again, there's no shocker here. Uh, come, let's cast lots so we may know who, uh, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Duh. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Do you hear all those questions? What are they trying to figure out? They're trying to figure out who are you. Again, if you didn't hear anything from the Ephesians series, who you are determines what you do. Your identity is mission critical. If you don't understand your identity, the world is toast. If you don't understand your identity, you're toast. And so they're trying to figure out Jonah's identity. Okay, like what God are, are you behind? Like who are you with? Who are your people? So what Jonah does, first thing that he does is he actually gets up out of the hole. 
And the next thing that we see he does, if you want to be able to stop running from God and surrender to the one that's chasing you, you have to admit who you are. Now, some of you, in your running, what you have now realized, and this is, I felt this as a young person, I hope some of you young people feel this. You start to get into sin, and hopefully, and this is what I'm praying for you young people in the room, you have this moment in time where in the middle of your sin, you have this wake-up moment, and you say something that sounds like this, this is not who I am. I'm not the type of guy who exploits other people because they're emotionally fragile. I, I'm not the type of kid who needs to get trashed at a party to feel like I'm having a good time. And this is not just a young person thing. This is an all of us thing. When you begin to, to wander into the far country, when you begin to run from your God, the thing that will get you out is remembering who you are and what's been done for you because of who he is. It goes on from there and he answers in a way that <laughs> maybe you wouldn't expect. He said to him, uh, he answers honestly, uh, kind of. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, which I would just, I read that and I was like, are you sure that can stay on your resume, big guy? Uh, so I fear the Lord. Well, I kind of fear the Lord. I used to fear the Lord. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this is kind of the place where, like, the, he says, I, I, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then it says, the men were exceedingly afraid, which is kind of like their way of going, okay, you're telling us you serve the sea God and you're running from him and you got on my boat? What? Could you have picked a different boat, man? I guess if you're running from the camel God, like go do something. You're running from the sea God on my boat in the sea. Again, sin makes you stupid. They're exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, what? <laughs> what is this that you have done? <laughs> I mean, this is hilarious. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And again, you gotta rise up. You gotta remember who you are. And then thirdly, you've gotta confess that guys, this is my fault. Some of you, you want your marriage to get better. It's not gonna get better by you just being better. Some of you, if you want your marriage to get better, you gotta come in and confess and go, hey, this brokenness is my fault. I own it. I'm gonna change. And I'm telling you, here's the hard reality. You think you could just change and things would change. It won't work like that. Repentance precedes restoration. And where there is no repentance, good luck seeing that relationship reconciled. You can even change. One of, the, one of the biggest places that I, but if you said, what, what's, what's one thing in your life that you really wish would have happened? You guys know I, I got a father wound and some big father issues and everything else, and, and my dad's no longer with us. Well, my dad got things right, and things were restored, and he changed. He 100% changed. He got clean and sober. He began taking his wounds and turning them into a weapon as he began to, to go work as a counselor for people in drug rehabilitation. He began to restore our relationship. God worked in a miraculous way to, to restore our relationship. But if you, if you still came to me and you go, hey, what's one thing you wish really, really would have happened between you and your dad? I wish he would have actually told me the things he was sorry for. I wish he would have named them so that I would be able to know and understand that he recognized those hurts. 
not just as this big grab bag of, oh, I'm just going to do things differently, and that'll overcome everything. And so my, my thing to you is, you want to stop running from God. You want to start surrendering to the one that's chasing you. You've got to surrender and admit out loud what you're doing. Now, when that starts to get you really depressed, you've got to remember who you are. And all of this, I would say, is, is kind of the second side of this, is, is them saying to him, well, what should we do to you <laughs> that the sea will quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Remember, you go back to the very beginning, who hurled the storm? And now Joe's like, all right, the storm has been hurled. Now I need to be. <laughs> so much. It's, this book is hilarious. It's the funniest book I've ever read. It says, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great tempest is coming. Again, he's kind of continuing to own his mess. All he's doing in that is he's surrendering. He says, throw me in. And this is key, guys. When you surrender to a storm that is God's punishment, it becomes a grace storm. It becomes a storm of God's grace. See, what happens when we go through storms is we think the storm is there to punish us, but is not there to punish us. The storm is there to protect you from being fully let go of God. And this is what he's trying to do in the midst of this. He's trying to protect his servant Jonah. He's trying to protect you even in the midst of your storm. And the big principle I want you to understand is surrendering in the storm and understanding that you may be in the midst of one or you're going to go through one. The storm is never to pay you back for what you did wrong. The storm is to bring you back. It's God's way of saying, you're in Tarshish. I don't need you over there. I need to bring you back to Nineveh because I got big old plans for you and for Nineveh. And some of you, you're missing out on God's plans for you. You're missing out on the impact and how he would work, move and, through, and go through you because you're going your way. So don't fight and resist the storm. Surrender to it. He tries to get him to throw him overboard. And I love verse 13 and 14. Bless these guys' heart. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. <laughs> For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Again, it's, it's a storm that God hurled. And therefore, they called out to the Lord. All right, at this point, I feel like these are repentant sinners. <laughs> they said, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. It's kind of their way of saying, God, I, he's kind of your guy. I don't know, like y'all obviously got something going on between you right now. Um, we're gonna throw him overboard. Don't hold us accountable. Like he told us, we're going on your half. Here we go. Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Let us uh, lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled, there's that word again, they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men, I love this part, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They had a man got on their boat and they only find God when they throw him over. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is kind of a side point that doesn't necessarily have to do with this. It's just kind of about understanding people. It's better to be in the company of repentant sinners than stubborn saints. And so if you got some of them stubborn saints in your life, I'm not saying throw them overboard. <laughs> I'm just saying, go find some people who understand how broken they were. Go, on, go and find some people who have seen a storm in their life be calmed and they've realized that they are sinful and to make, they make these sacrifices to atone for their sinful ways. So they toss them overboard. In verse 17, we see grace. 
the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of fish for three days and three nights. See, his, his storm became a gray storm, and a very unlikely vessel became the means through which Jonah received rescue, a fish. Now, like, what? Again, we read the story, and we're going to get more into the historicity of the story and whether or not this is actually true and why we should believe that this story is real. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. But, like, why a fish? Well, I think God had to do something that everybody around and all of us reading this would go like, okay, that's totally God. He's not riding on the back of some orca, you know, above water or another ship or a dinghy. Um, I was dinghy count at eight now in this message. If you were keeping score. But, But God does it in this way because this is how God rescues God does his rescue and God gives his grace in the most unlikely ways, through the most unlikely vessels, through the most unlikely tools. And he shows Jonah his grace through three days in a fish and he shows us his grace through Jesus spending three days in a tomb. And and it's there at the tomb where Jesus is the true and greater Jonah, where Jonah gets this word from God saying, "Um, Jonah, I need you to go and save those sinners. Jesus gets a message from God and says, Jesus, I need you to go into the far country and save those sinners. Where Jonah runs the opposite direction away from sinners, Jesus runs our direction to us sinners. And Jesus is cast into the chaos of our lives to bring us calm. He suffers the punishment that we deserve so that not just one person can be saved, but so that all. And I want you to understand something about the complexity between Jonah being overboard and saved through the water. Him have to be all the way submerged. And that being what surrendered and opened up his ability to receive salvation by God. And I want you to see his connection to baptism. In a second, you're going to get to see that baptism on display as a, as a young woman is going to get baptized here today. And for Jonah, that was the principle and reality and truth in his life. If he doesn't go overboard, if he's not submerged, he's not saved. Now, what I want you to understand is that for us, baptism is that surrender. It's that first step of surrender to say, I do really. Jonah could have got on the boat and said, yeah, this is my fault. Sorry, guys, my bad. I I believe he is a God. I fear him. Story doesn't end. Story doesn't change. Because he's just up there believing the same thing he already believed. Belief is accompanied by surrender. And then salvation happens. And his belief matched and partnered with surrender and he went in the water. And upon his submersion, he met salvation in the form of a fish for three days. And when we go into the waters of baptism, it is through that submersion that we now are able to reign victorious our old lives away. We finally stopped running. We are dying to the life that we want to live and we're being raised up in the new life that Jesus offers us. So if you're here today and you haven't been baptized, go back out there to the welcome table and, and we'll walk you around and we'll baptize you today too. Because that's the whole message of Jonah. Some of you, it, you, if you're tired of running, surrender today. And your surrender may, is today, it will look like Jonah's look like. You're gonna get wet. And you're gonna get saved. And for some of you, that's what needs to happen today. And to ignore that would be to run from God. And I hope today, if your story tells us nothing else, it tells us to stop running. We're going to receive communion, sing a song, and then 
I pray you stick around because we're gonna baptize a young woman. See what it looks like to be surrendered and risen new. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And as we get ready to receive communion, remind us that it is by your broken body, by your poured out blood that we have life. We come to you now, Jesus, and we pray as we talk and commune with you, you show us where we've been running from you. And you bring us back out of our sin, out of our shame. Restore us. And then like Jonah, use us to see people change, not by us, but through us through the power of your word, through the power of your blood, through the power of our surrendered lives to you. In your name, amen.